Major support for Out to Lunch Acadiana is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker. Established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com, and by Business First Bank, with locations throughout the state, including Lafayette and Lake Charles, providing personal and commercial banking, treasury management, and wealth solution services to help clients succeed. Business First Bank, banking with greater momentum at b1bank.com. Support also comes from Wyndham Garden Lafayette. From Charlie G's Restaurant on the south side of Lafayette, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Professor of Finance and Director of the award-winning Birkenrode Reports. It's business Acadiana style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch Acadiana. The history of entertainment goes back a long way. Along with religious temples, some of the oldest and grandest surviving archaeological sites in the world are amphitheaters that were built for entertainment. In the United States, we've contributed multiplex movie theaters across the country, Broadway in New York and Disney World in Florida. Here in Acadiana, there's a parallel universe of popular entertainment. None of it involves massive permanent construction. It requires only an open field or a blocked off street, and I'm talking about festivals. There are two major long-running festivals that are known among fans of music and French culture way beyond the confines of Acadiana. The oldest is the Festival Acadian. Starting in the 1970s as a combination of smaller Cajun and Creole celebrations, Festival Acadian has grown in size, stature, and economic impact under the guidance of Barry Ancelet, the father of the festival and one of the principal figures in the conservation of Cajun culture. Barry, welcomed out to lunch. Glad to be here. In this business, you are the Grand Fromage. The other big Francophone festival in town is Festival International. Held in downtown Lafayette every April since 1986, the festival features French-speaking musicians from around the world and attracts audiences big enough to take over most of the city. The president of the board of Festival International and its interim executive director is Scott Feehan. Scott, welcomed out to lunch. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Great. Now, Barry, the term cultural economy is relatively recent. It describes the economic impact of cultural events, most of which, like Festival of Kedian, were founded for cultural reasons, not financial. It only took us about a half a century to figure out that if thousands of people attend a festival, they're going to want to eat, drink, and spend money and do other things around town, like shopping and staying overnight. Now that the term cultural economy is more established, have you found it easier to finance your festival? Absolutely. Um, we, we initially thought of this as... as um a cultural statement of uh, a, uh, a statement about survival, a statement about uh, wanting to uh, to thrive into the future, and uh, <clears throat> it it only occurred to us along the way that you know when you have a festival like this, it, a lot of people move, a lot of people eat, a lot of people stay in hotels. They you, if, if you're successful, you attract people from not only here but um, nearby, but from other parts of the country and the world. And uh, we actually uh, had never, we knew this was happening, but we didn't have any exact numbers. And uh, recently we did an, an economic impact statement just to see what it was. And it, it, our festival makes $9 million move. 
wow. you know, it, it, through the economy. And, and Festival International has got a similar uh, <clears throat> footprint. Years ago, Festival uh, Acadia, we used to we used to actually pay for the festival um, pretty much on the back of draft beer sales, <laughs> which was completely irresponsible <laughs> in so many ways. I mean, in the first place, if you have a rain out or if it's a little chilly, there go your beer sales. And But more importantly, even if you're successful, you're sending a whole bunch of people home drunk. Right, right. So you know, it's just crazy. <clears throat> when we took over the festival uh, uh, operation from uh, this, our previous sponsors, the JCs, we, we produced a community-based board to actually run Festival Zacadien uh, in, in 2007, I think it was. Uh, the challenge uh, we gave ourselves was, you know, how can we make this festival economically stable to the point where before the first note is played, before the first beer is poured, um, <clears throat> the, it's, it's, it's assured, it's paid for. And Pat Mole took that challenge and, and has done that for us. And what did you do? We had that meeting. And he went out and looked for corporate sponsors, people who were absolutely, turns out, delighted to have their names attached to this beautiful self-celebration of Cajun and Creole culture. It, you know, it had never occurred to anybody to ask before. <laughs> and he asked and people said, sure, absolutely. Now, Scott, <clears throat> like Barry's festival, in a business sense, the first thing anybody would have to note about your wildly successful festival is that it's free. Um, that is, it's free to attend. It's certainly not free to stage. You have an impressive range of sponsors. You've got Coca-Cola and Chevron. What sort of return do corporations get for their investment in the festival? Or are they doing it uh, more or less for marketing and being seen as good corporate citizens? Yeah, I think a certain amount of it is, is giving back to the community to something that um, that does do a lot for Lafayette. You know, festival, one of the big reasons festival got off the ground in the beginning, in 1986, if you recall, the economy was- Oh, was, that was a brutal time. Was terrible. Downtown was a dump. So a big part of the festival project was actually a downtown beautification yeah. type of effort. So the, the founders partnered with not only the city of Lafayette, but what their vehicle was, was some of these sister cities and foreign governments and, yeah, as Barry alluded to, the uh, culture is a business, and these countries did want to export their culture in the form of music. So the way that the bands originally came to festival was through these governments. They would pay to send them out here because that was part of their mission. They were exporting their culture via, via music. So, and, and actually, the first festival we had was in July, I believe. It was in the summer, and that's because of one of the groups that was being sent over was also going to be played. It, maybe it was Quebec, I, but it, there were three other spots in North America that they wanted to play. And um, so we did it once in July and <laughs> realized that was a, a you know, we needed, to, yeah, we needed <laughs> to adjust. But that's one of the biggest shifts that we've gone through over the years is in the beginning we were absolutely aligned with La a mission from Lafayette to help downtown and try to help stimulate the economy by partnering with these, these foreign governments. And over the years as festival has grown, you know, it's turned, like we do have corporate sponsors that play a huge role in putting this thing on, but the mission of Lafayette has changed, and so has the missions of these foreign governments. They're no longer exporting music per se, but their, their goals are different. They want to have more collaborative efforts. They want to send artists down to do residencies, and they want to study the cultures, and they want to produce something together. So that's what we're looking at right now as a board is how do we, first off, what is Lafayette's mission? You know, we're a lot more diverse than we used to be. 
So how do we align ourselves with Lafayette again? And then, uh, then how do we align ourselves with these sister cities and, and get back to kind of the roots in that regard um, and, and just try to you know, refresh uh, what we're doing? Well, one thing I wanted to ask you about is you mentioned the timing. Obviously, July was very hot and such, but you run at the same time as Jazz Fest in New Orleans. Is that a, is that a plus or a minus? I've never been able to figure that out. So part of what has happened over the years is we used to have International Music Fest in Houston and Jazz Fest in New Orleans. So to book groups to come in from overseas, it's very tough to book somebody for one group. But when we could arrange with Houston Fest and Jazz Fest, that, that's instantly you have three spots uh -huh. that they can come play. So you help spread out the airfare cost. And then anything else we get is, is kind of a bonus. So some of the challenges that have really showed up in recent years is first, first off, the International Music Festival got rained out completely a few years ago, and I think they went under. And Jazz Fest, for whatever reason over the years, whether their mission changed or their view of us has changed, they don't like booking with us anymore. So we On the other hand, I have to say, tourists are starting to understand the connection better. They'll say, I'm going to spend one weekend in New Orleans and come over. So right. So that message is getting out. Yeah, and I, I think we, we, I don't see any reason we shouldn't work together. You know, I think we're all here to, you know, for culture and to stimulate to, you know, the cities and, and, and bring people to this state. I don't see why we, we can't work together. And that, we, we figured out how to work together. Uh, yeah. We figured out that you know, our, our entire culture here in South Louisiana is based historically on uh, a model of uh, social cooperation. And uh, we, we provide uh, um, performances at Festival International. They sponsor some at ours. Oh. We share a uh, volunteer base. We share a uh, contributor base. Uh, uh, it works better. It works better when you work together. Uh, Barry Scott, uh, also joining us today, is another festival organizer, Renee Matamoros. Renee doesn't produce one festival a year. She produces 12 of them. For two seasons, six weeks each, in spring and in fall, Renee stages Rhythms on the River in the town square at River Ranch in Lafayette. Uh, Renee, welcomed out to lunch. Thank you for having me. That is, that is quite an agenda you've got there. <laughs> now, Renee, I'd like to think staging a music festival once a week for 12 weeks a year is a pretty big undertaking. Lining up bands, vendors, managing the day-to-day -day inevitable problems that always arise with a live event. You've been running the festival for five years now. Did anything in your background prepare you for being a festival producer or has it been pretty much on-the-job training? Um, on the job mainly. I. Um my main gig, I guess you could say, is director of marketing for City Club uh, at River Ranch. And it just kind of made sense. We have the same owners, and they asked if I would like to do it. And I did do, I do member events at City Club and things like that. So planning, yes, I did have some experience. But as for running a concert, no, besides the fact that I love music. So, and I've attended both of the, these great festivals. So, you know, seeing the people that come out and just love music. So. Besides the frequency, how do they differ from these other two events? Well, these, ours are um, a community program like theirs, but ours is once a week. So they, these two fine gentlemen are planning a huge con uh, festival in a weekend, in a week, and ours are spaced out once a week for six weeks. So maybe not so much cram time. I work all year on it, but, um, you know, I have... Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday to, okay, what's going to happen Thursday? Who's coming? Who's, is, do they need a certain writer? Do, who's sponsoring? Which tents are being set up? So I have maybe a little bit more time, I think, 
to do that, um, to plan, I guess. And, and what's your sponsorship situation? Do you have outside sponsors? We or? do. This concert series would not happen without our great sponsors. We have sponsors that have been sponsoring since the beginning, and each season, each year, we have more and more that want to sponsor because of how many people show up to this event. You know, we have anywhere from two to 5,000 people, sometimes more, depending on who's playing, and we like to meld different genres of music, so we include the Zotica, we include country, we include variety, you know, the fun, Chiwi's Bag of Donuts, Molly Ringwalds, and of course, everybody, uh, your younger crew will like. Um, and then we have our local favorites, and then we try to just go more regional as well. You know, that's just what I was going to ask you, Renee. What, is there an age market or target market? Are you trying to touch them all, or how? Really not um, an age market per se, just a variety. Now, River Ranch has really grown. I mean, it's what, 2,500 people live over there now, and another couple thousand come in for, like for work. <laughs> but your festival's dry is coming uh, more from just that, it's more than that, that target market, right? It's coming of course, from all yeah. Over. It's, um, you know, Lafayette is your main draw, but you do have people outside Brobridge, all outside the, you know, Acadiana community that come in for this. Originally, when it started in 2001, there may have been 10 to 20 people out there listening to a band, and then it just grew and grew. Now, I'm glad you said that about trying to market just outside. Barry Scott, what about marketing outside of Acadiana? What, how, do you, how do you do it? Uh, how do you get your arms around that? That's a big one. <laughs> uh, so for us, the, one of the big challenges is figuring out where, where our people are coming from. You know, so we loaded, and how do you do that? That's a good example. So two years ago, uh, we loaded zip codes into our merch booth. So every, every sale we made, we collected zip codes. And we had 48 states represented <laughs> in our merch booth, including Alaska and Hawaii plus Puerto Rico. Then we had a... Yeah, maybe I could talk to <laughs> them. Don't put me on the spot. Yeah. <laughs> Those Dakotans, I you think they would show up. I'm, they, I'm wondering of these sullen states that didn't come. Yeah, people, non-fun states. Yeah, yeah. Right. Now we'll get them to list the two and we'll get in all kinds of trouble. And then the... Um, we also, I didn't load a list of countries, but we had a fair amount of sales that weren't in this. So this year we loaded countries and we had 10 different countries represented. So now you see, you know, what, how do you market to that? It's, I wish I had the golden answer. We, you know, we, we try a number of different things, both you know, online and, and again, I think right now the, it's very important for us to reestablish our relationships with our sister cities. Well, this gets back to, to Barry, where he's talking about uh, the economic value of the festivals. I mean. Half the money's, it's not just this money recirculating, it's no. money, yeah. Yeah, a lot of people come, we did, we did a similar impact statement, uh, economic uh, impact study, and we found basically the same thing. We yeah. have people coming from all over the country and from a number of other countries. Uh, <clears throat> there are people who are, um, I mean, there are big Cajun music fans and Zydeco fans in Germany, in, wow. in England. There's, there's, last time I counted, there were over two dozen actively performing Cajun and Zydeco bands in England. Which is a little weird if you think about it because, you know, first they exiled us, <laughs> then they fall in love with the music that was produced as a response to that exile, and now they're playing it themselves over there. So, but anyway, <coughs> but there, there are people coming from, I mean, everywhere, uh, 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 Italy, uh, Ireland, Australia, all over the place. And so it's, it's, it's not just local money uh, changing hands. Although, uh, it is true also that even when local money changes hands, it produces tax yeah. base, it produces uh, good results. And all of that, you know, is, 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 a, good, um, is a good byproduct of, uh, of festivals. The main purpose that we both, all three of us have really, is the celebration of this culture. 
and it's music and, and it's, it's various forms of expression. And, you know, when you get right down to it, that's, that's what was, was at the heart of this in the beginning. Uh, <clears throat> when we did the first, festi the first concert in 74, we honestly didn't know if anybody was going to come. I mean, nothing like it had ever been done before. We were basically working off the notion that Cajun music and Creole music had been greatly appreciated at places like Newport yeah, and right. the Smithsonian and the National Folk Festival. So, so we figured, well, this was Dewey Balfour's notion. <clears throat> he wanted to bring home the echo of those ovations he had heard at all those places back home. But we didn't know if anybody was going to show up. Plus, it was a Tuesday night, raining cats and dogs, <laughs> you know, and we didn't know, I didn't know if any, and not one of the musicians was being paid that first night. I didn't know if the musicians were going to show up. Well, they all showed <laughs> up, and a lot of people showed up, and apparently we hit a nerve. We touched a nerve, and uh, so we that's why we continued doing it. And it's always had the same, um, you know, basic goal. And that was to celebrate ourselves, to get gathered together to celebrate ourselves. We talk about you know, cooperation. We have, we, have a good, we have a good cooperation with yeah. Festival International because Festival International is a celebration of our connections. And our festival is a celebration of, of our own thing. And it's, it, to me, it's the perfect bookends. You know, spring and fall, and we've got all of this other great stuff going on at, at right. River Ranch. It, 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 it sounds like it could be competitive, but it's actually extremely well integrated. In fact, your whole festival <clears throat> came in 74, since then, uh, kind of an amalgamation of a couple of different festivals, yeah, right? Yeah, uh, the uh, Crafts Festival had been going on, I think, uh, for a couple of years. It was sort of very small scale. And we came along in 74, and the Food Festival, we, uh, and we all partnered together, which is one of the reasons why the festival has a plural name. Uh, well, we I've noticed that. We There's all partnered together. We decided to preserve the origins of those various original festivals in the way we do it uh, today. Now, that's the part of the show we call the checklist. And that's uh, where we take a little break and ask you each a quick question that you probably wouldn't find on a loan application. So <laughs> I've got the, uh, I hope you wouldn't find these on a loan application. Uh, Scott, I'll start with you. Uh, do you speak another language other than English? You know, I do now. Um, so I, I grew up here in Lafayette, and I think I just I took our culture for granted. Um, and then in, when I met my my now wife, when I met her, she's from New Brunswick. Oh, wow! She came here through Codafil to teach French. So first off, I, there were a lot of secrets being I knew they were talking about, but I didn't, <laughs> I didn't understand. But secondly, when I introduced her to my grandfather who I'd never heard a word of French out of. Uh, I think I said, hey, Papa Blitz, this is, uh, this is Peggy. I don't think they ever said a, a word of English. She said bonjour, and... And you had never heard... I had never heard a single so word out of his you, mouth. You learned a whole other side of your grandfather. Right. Yeah. yeah. And till the day he, he passed, I, they spoke very little English to each other. It was all French, and I had no clue. So at that... That was one of the kickers for me. I said, you know what, I, I really need to learn this. And I spent two summers up at uh, St. Anne at the, in Nova Scotia. He's learning. living proof that there's a cure for monolingualism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I did this as an adult in 2004, You think it's the cure? <laughs> a bonus for me now, as president of Festival International, you know, we sat with the French consul a couple weeks ago. and Did you wow him? With he, your French? He was, he was, you know, he was happy that I spoke French. That we can wow. certainly say that. Now, Renee, <clears throat> um, what did your parents do for a living? 
My dad was a president of a, a local furniture company, and my mom was a school teacher. She was at Terrellings, Edgar Martin, and uh, still to this day, um, she teaches little kids how to swim, and adults too, when needed, so. Wow, they, what was the name of the furniture company? Anderson's Furniture. Ah, so, uh, so people in this town know you by? They do, and prior to that, my mom was big in her sorority, uh, Tri-Sig, and my dad was Kappa Sig, and that's where they met. My mom is actually from New Orleans, and my dad was born in Alabama, but when he was two, moved to New Orleans. So they were both born and ra uh, raised there, at least. And they came here for college, fell in love with it, fell in love with each other, and decided to stay. And they really, you know, melded yeah. themselves into the community. And, you know, I made a joke earlier that I keep my maiden name on my business cards because my, my, my mom either taught someone or my dad <laughs> sold someone furniture or served him a drink at the keg when he was manager of that. So, you know, it's a great conversation starter. <laughs> Let me ask you, Barry, um, thinking back, and you've been doing this a long time, what's been the, the, the best day you've ever had at work? A lot of what we're doing today is based on uh, information that was collected by previous researchers, including Alan Lomax. Oh, wow. In 1934, we obtained a copy of that collection from the Library of Congress and brought it home. We repatriated it to Louisiana. At that part, I thought, you know, we probably could, could track down a lot of the people, of the families of the people who sang for Lomax and performed right. for him in 1934. He had recorded a family in New Iberia, the Hoffpowers, extensively. Three young girls he had found singing jump rope songs and, and in the yard, and he recorded them, and they said, you need to stay, you need to stay till our, the real singer in the family gets home, Julian. <laughs> so he recorded Julian and, and produced some of the most amazing uh, field recordings that have ever been done on any French singers in North America. So I've tracked down the Hoffpower family. Tim Hoffpower was an optometrist in New Iberia. He got, I told him what I was doing, trying to bring the, take this all the way back home. And I, he gathered the family together, and I went to his house and with the cassette of the stuff that his family, their, their ancestors had sung in 34. And so they were listening to this stuff. There wasn't a dry oh, eye in the place. I mean, this emotional, uh, huge emotional moment of people listening to beloved family members, singing beloved family songs that they hadn't heard basically in 50 years. It was amazing. And I already thought this was the best day of my, <laughs> my work. I was so, so glad to be a folklorist. And I mentioned to the woman standing next to me, young middle-aged woman, I said, this is an emotional moment, isn't it? And she said, it is. That's my mother. She died shortly after having me, and this is the first time I ever hear oh, her voice. Oh, wow. And I thought, thank you. Thank you for putting me in this position. <laughs> <clears throat> to me, that's what my entire career has been motivated by, is validating, validating this stuff, bringing it home and giving people an opportunity to feel proud of something that years ago was denigrated. And Barry, we think of how busy you are with all these, these different uh, projects you're working on, but there's a, isn't there like an alter ego, Barry, that does writing? Uh, yeah, you want to see him? Yes, yeah. Well, he doesn't speak any English. Oh, he doesn't? No. Uh, and well, how would I we should, find maybe him? I should just tell you about him. Okay, His please. name is Jean Arsenault. All right. And he, um, <clears throat> he was born at, at the age of 27. <laughs> Which is unusual right Quebec, there. <laughs> in Quebec City, when... Um, they, they were desperate looking for somebody to represent contemporary Louisiana literature, and 
really, there wasn't much going on back then. And so I made him up <laughs> on the spot. And that, that person uh, writes and... Yes. Uh, he, it, was, it was a useful uh, invention because it gave me the opportunity to have a side of me that could produce fiction, whereas Barry Onslay was working on the academic stuff. Oh. But funny story, <laughs> the guy I told this to, I made him up because I didn't want to force his hand. He was looking for something to have as part of this soiree, this literary event. And I didn't want to force his hand, so I said, a friend of mine, I have something from a friend of mine. He said, well, okay, look, let me see it. He looks at, oh, this is, this is perfect, perfect. Call him up and ask for his permission. <laughs> so I, I was in Quebec City. I called my apartment where I knew nobody was, nobody was there, and I, I had a conversation with a phone ringing in my ear <laughs> to ask for permission to use this stuff. <clears throat> you are having some fun, I'll oh, tell you that. Blast. <laughs> Barry, Scott, Renee, the three of you are making an enormous contribution to the cultural life of Acadiana and to the health of the cultural economy as well. Uh, probably everybody listening uh, to this has enjoyed themselves some many times over at your festivals. It's been great to learn a little bit more about what goes on behind the scenes that makes all the fun happen. Thank you so much for taking the time out to join me and out to lunch, all three of you. Thank you. Wonderful guests. Uh, Thanks for having us. The food was good, too. It was delicious. <laughs> My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Barry Ancelet, founder of Festival Acadiens, Scott Feehan, president of the board and interim executive director of Festival International, and Renee Matamoris, director of marketing at City Club and producer of Rhythms on the River. You can find out more about Barry, Scott, and Renee's festivals by following them on our links. That's uh, krvs.org and itsacadiana.com. Today's show is recorded live over lunch at Charlie G's Restaurant Lafayette. Charlie G's is open six days a week for lunch and dinner with live music Thursday through Saturday. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our theme song, Encore Monsieur, Nice Guy, is written by Mitch Foreman and performed by Mitch Foreman and Andre Michaud. Our Acadiana business consultants are Pete Prados from Innovate Acadiana, Zach Barker from The Opportunity Machine, and Dr. Blake Escaday. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show, I know, scary, on the website and Facebook page. These photos were taken by Gwen O'Quen. You can get the show as a podcast. You can listen to us on past shows. You can even keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our website. It's kdiana.com and krvs.org. Support for Out to Lunch Acadiana comes from Wyndham Garden Lafayette, located off Pinhook near Calise Saloon. Wyndham Garden Lafayette is pet and family friendly with complimentary parking and Wi-Fi. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsacadiana.com and KRVS 88.7 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Charlie G's for more business Acadiana style on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch Acadiana is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker. Established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com. And by Business First Bank, with locations throughout the state, including Lafayette and Lake Charles, providing personal and commercial banking, treasury management, and wealth solution services to help clients succeed. Business First Bank, banking with greater momentum at b1bank.com. Support also comes from Wyndham Garden Lafayette.